You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm in Toronto, where Atlanta United was beaten by Toronto FC, 3-2 here at BMO Field. It was a wild game with a crazy ending. Toronto had a penalty that uh, was a little bit controversial in the fourth minute of stoppage time. Atlanta United got a penalty a few seconds later in the game's final kick after referee Alan Kelly ruled a handball against a Toronto player off a cross from Leandro Gonzalez-Perez. Pitti Martinez, who earlier converted a penalty, stepped up to hit this one, and I think the ball might still be in the air at this point. Uh, it was over the crossbar by a long way. Atlanta United falls to falls three to two. It's the first time this season Atlanta United has given up three goals in an MLS game, and of course they are playing without Joseph Martinez and Hector Viaba for the first time in the franchise's history, and they are also missing Andrew Carlton. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Longshore of 92.9 FM and SoccerDownHere.net. And we're joined by Mike Conti tonight in a special treat for an odd game. (laughs) (laughs) I only show up for the freak shows, I guess. (laughs) You know, you mentioned, and that's a great stat about Tito and Joseph being out for the first time in club history. I have to give that to Kevin Egan. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Uh, To me, the most significant absence of the night for Atlanta United, and, and be fair to say it was Joseph, was Franco Escobar. And Atlanta United is now 0-3-2 in league play this year when Franco Escobar does not play. 2-5-2 across all competitions. The two wins were Ardiano, the team that you should beat without him, and Monterey in the second leg where you, you needed to get a big result to advance. Um, that is a big, big concern. Now, now fortunately, Escobar is not hurt. It was right. yellow accumulation, but you, you see the night that Schaffenberg had, and it's nothing against Michael Parkhurst. It's just... There is such a drop-off when Franco Escobar cannot play for this team, and it's just one of those things that you get very concerned about, that one individual player can mean that much, and all it takes is a minor injury to cost you another three or four months. Atlanta United never really started to click this season until Escobar got back healthy. I think his absence loomed extremely large tonight. Uh, Frank, I asked Frank after the game because the first half, well, throughout the game, Atlanta United really didn't get control of the game except for just a couple of minute periods in the first half and in the second half. And he said in the first half they were pressing way too high, so he switched it to kind of a zonal marking system and had them sit back just a little bit to try to take away some of the space that Toronto was being able to take advantage of. He thought they were able to kind of 
get better control of the flanks at that point? The start of the second half, 100%. Because if you go back and look at it, the first, somewhere between 15 and 20, I wish I had actually written down when I looked at the stats, they created five chances early in the second half. And Gressel created three of them. And he was pretty much anonymous in the first half in that regard. His three chances he created were in that stretch. And then when he took the knock from Justin Morrow, when they collided and he was limping, that's when it all fell apart. And then it didn't really come back until you went to three in the back with Pogba and then Morinowitz coming on. All right, let's skip ahead to the final minutes because that's what everyone's going to be talking about regardless. So the to set this up, on Joseph, on Pitti well, Martinez's. Have you ever seen anything like a sequence like that to end a professional soccer? Game? No, not well. I, I probably have, but I'm old and can't remember. Uh, the only things I can even think of are like the the Manchester United Champions League final that was insane. I had a ruckus game in '98 that was won on a flip throw off the track at Adam Stadium that I saw. That's about it. I got nothing. All right, so. To set up the context for what I'm about to discuss, I want to go back to the first penalty, uh, which was a handball against Pozuelo. As soon as it happened, Pitti Martinez raised his arm to signal he thought it was a handball, but there wasn't a stoppage in play until almost three minutes later. At that point, to his credit, Alan Kelly did what he's supposed to do, spoke with the video assistant referee, whose name last name I cannot pronounce, Mariscal, and then went did the review penalty. Okay, so now we get to the fourth minute of stoppage time, and Lorea gets into the penalty box. Pogba and Robinson are approaching him. Pogba goes behind him. Lorea goes to ground. Alan Kelly immediately signals penalty. He may have spoken with the VAR, I'm not sure, but he didn't review the play. They definitely spoke. They okay. definitely spoke. But, but he didn't go to the video he monitor to go, review the play. Yeah, he did. And I think terminology-wise, and this is something that it's going to become more of a thing, there was a check, which is what the VAR does. So there was definitely a check because Kelly gave every indication to the players on the field and from what we could see with the hand of the ear. There was a check going on. He never went for the on-field review. The difference between the two that I can tell, and I need to go back and look at the first one, I don't think he had a clear view of the first one from where he was on the field. The second one he did because he made the call. That changes the the information being given, and it changes the way it goes a little bit. If there's not an angle that shows Mariscal in the booth that what you called on the field is wrong, is it clearly and obviously wrong? There's nothing to review. And that's where we get into the thing about do we want VAR to be a second judgment or do we want it to be there for a clear and obvious error? I don't like the call initially at all. And that's from me looking at it probably 45 minutes afterwards when everything's calmed down and nobody's screaming and I've got a chance to look at it. I don't like the call because I think Larea drags his right foot and takes a divot out of the penalty area, and that's what took him down. That's exactly what Gonzalez Perez said happened. He yeah. said he and his teammates watched this video ten times after the game. Nobody touched Larea. I don't think Pogba he he him. dove, and that's what infuriated Gonzalez yeah. Perez that Alan Kelly in a bang bang play in a game deciding play would didn't have 
I guess, the courage to go and look at the monitor that but was just not, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's just a few yards off the what? But I don't. It is. I, I'll tell you what he should have done. I'll tell you what he should have done. This would have given him the out. This would have allowed him to do what you wanted him to do, what Leandro Gonzalez Perez wanted him to do. He shouldn't have called it in the run of play. It's just like you tell the AR to delay the flag. When you call it in the run of play, everything changes. Because if you delay it, if you don't call it, and you talk to the VAR, then you can go look at it to decide yes or no. When you make the call, you're in a corner and you're stuck. And and everything Jason has said is correct. One thing I would add, and this is something we've talked a lot about, a lot with VAR, is that one of the flaws of VAR, the way that Pro has it set up right now, is often you will have senior referees in the VAR booth and junior referees as centers. And when a senior VAR is paging down to the junior center ref to go to the monitor, it's not a recommendation, it's almost a command. You're going to defer to the senior ref. In this case tonight, you had a very senior ref, Alan Kelly, and I don't know a whole lot about Alejandro Mariscal. I don't remember him doing too many centers in MLS matches. So you have a junior ref in the booth. It's going to take courage for Mariscal, the VAR, to go down to Kelly and say, you need to look at that. Uh, that's secondary to the, the main point of how this all worked out tonight. But it's something that concerns me about the way that Pro has VAR set up. And I, I don't know if there's a remedy to that. I don't know if you can have it somehow even where, okay, if you're going to have Alan Kelly, a very senior ref, centering, then you need to have Jair Marufo, another very senior ref on VAR. Yeah, that's separate jobs. You can't yeah. have VARs who are centering games. They, they have to be VARs. That's the difference. I think that's what happens in other leagues around the world. And they also have the centralized location and all that. So they're separate from the referee crews in a lot of ways. Here they're not, and that does play into it. Let let me be clear about my thoughts on it. The way the VAR process was handled was correct. The call was wrong, in my opinion. Yes. And it's it's very important to separate them. Because then when we talk about these things going forward we can be clear on what part needs to change. In this case, it's a bad call by a referee. We see it all the time. It happens. It's happened for years. I think he missed the call. I think he thought he got tripped. You can't go to VAR to take a look at the call he made unless that VAR has an angle that definitively shows it. He's supposed to. He's supposed to have an angle that definitively shows it, and he could tell the referee via the communication system, you may want to look at that one. And it's still that's within the referee to get yeah, a look. Yes. So and he did back to the call. And he didn't. Because that's Leandro's point. Yeah, he no, didn't. I understand. The, but the, the bigger issue, because we're gonna yell about VAR in this case, in my opinion, the bigger issue is the ref got the call wrong. And that's what it comes down to. The the VAR element is secondary to me. He called it on the field. He shouldn't have called it on the field because it was the wrong call from what we can tell. Right. That's the most important. That that trumps all of it. All right. I think we beat that into the ground. Uh, let's switch to Pitti Martinez and Brandon Vasquez tonight. This is Vasquez's first MLS start, uh, earned after scoring four goals in the past two Open Cup matches. And he looked like a guy who had not yet started in Major League Soccer. But you could see, if he gets a couple more starts, some of the chances that he missed tonight, or that were just a little bit off, 
he might put in the back of the net. Yeah, I thought he was okay. And the play I keep coming back to in evaluating Vasquez tonight wasn't necessarily the the chances in the second half where he was just a whisker away. Uh, It was the goal he created, the go-ahead goal to Julian Gressel. Uh, Unbelievable play, a fantastic cross that was deflected, and it's an easy goal for Julian Gressel. And that, to me, is why I, I feel generally positive about Vasquez tonight. I think with a little more time, a little more chemistry, those near misses we saw in the second half are going to be put home. It's difficult to build that kind of society on the pitch in, what, 130 minutes of U.S. Open Cup play, uh, including, you know, 30-some, 40-some minutes against a USL team. It's really, really hard to develop that chemistry. Even the Columbus match, where he played very well, choppy match, because you had the rain delay and, uh, you know, the, the, the second goal he scored was with the pitch practically flooded. Right. So it, it feels like it's been a little bit choppy and disjointed, even when he has played well in U.S. Open Cup. I, I think he's really, really close. And it, it, it looks like Joseph, at best, if Venezuela were to be knocked out by Argentina, maybe you see Joseph in the 18 in Chicago, but yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I think you're looking at two more starts for Brandon Vasquez. I thought it was interesting that Mario Williams is not in the 18 tonight. So Vasquez is your guy going forward, so he's got to figure it out. You hope that that these close chances do get put home. It was Chicago two years ago when Martinez came back after suffering an injury while on duty with Venezuela. So, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, Yeah, Vasquez, I mean, he, he deserves the start, and Vasquez has to put some of those home. He worked really hard tonight. Created the second goal, uh, put himself in good chances, good good spots on the field. Uh, needed maybe a little bit more hold up play from him at times to be that big body to help them get out of trouble. But he worked hard. He was in the right spots. The final product wasn't there, and it needs to be. But also, you're talking about a player in his first start in three years. Right. You kind of get what you expect. Yeah, he had Vasquez had five shots, one on goal tonight uh, in 39 touches, which isn't too bad. Now, Pitti, of course, missed the penalty, scored his second goal with a penalty in the first half. He had six shots, uh, two on target. Per his habit, most of his shots came from far, far away, which I just don't like very much. Um, I was curious if your opinion has stayed the same on Pitti taking his 30 to 35-yard shots. Well, it, it, one of them he almost caught the, the Westberg off the, the line. The one yeah. from the yeah, corner it, grazed the top netting. And yeah. that's why they're not all long shots are the same. Um, did he have a couple bad ones tonight? Yes. Did he have some good ones tonight? Yes. It's 50 was good, not great tonight before the penalty. He was he was okay. And the funny thing is, if he makes that penalty, he's man of the match because he's got two goals. And it, yeah. that that's the cruel thing about soccer. We were talking about it on the radio. It's like a field goal kicker in the NFL that went four for four in a game, made three 50-yard field goals. You're within two. You've got a 24-yarder to win or lose, and you miss the 24-yarder, and that's all everyone's going to talk about. Uh, and, look, some of the critique of Pitti is fair. I mean, it's frustrating. You you wanted to see him go out and dominate Charleston. You wanted to see him go out and dominate Columbus. And, and I thought he took positive steps. But it, it's Charleston, still, he was really good in the in second, second half. In the second half, he was And, and half. tonight, yeah. I thought you saw a lot of that type of play where he's dropping deep to try to make things happen for this team. I think a lot of the chances that were created that Vasquez was on the end of, they started with Pitti in the midfield a lot of times. But... Pitti, 
again, was not the player that I think people are expecting him to be sometimes. And, and His the, defense in the first half, he left Parkhurst out to dry a few times just because he wouldn't track back, I thought. I, I mean, that might be. I mean, I, I'm watching the ball. I'd, I'd so love I, to know the, yeah. the instruction. Honestly. Yes. Yeah. I'd love to know. That's true. Are you asking him to do that or are you telling him to stay up high? Second half, especially – Later in it, he was a second. Yeah, he was a second so strike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's remember the the game ending penalty that he missed does not happen if he doesn't drive the kick off into an area where it creates an automatic yeah. foul, and then if he does not put that ball into the box to set up the handball. So he earned the penalty. I mean, that, yeah. that that's well, another yeah. thing that I think we forget sometimes. So look, it, it's a polarizing situation. Because, and we talked about this on the post game show on the radio. He's South American Player of the Year. With that title comes expectation. Whether or not the expectation is fair can be debated. Um, you know, those who have doubted Pitti got some ammunition because he missed the penalty tonight. But I think you have to look at the entire body of work. And like, like I said about Brandon Vasquez, Vasquez was okay tonight. I thought Pitti, by and large, was okay tonight. I have a huge issue with what happened other than the missed penalty. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the missed penalty. I just continue to have a problem with the low percentage 35-yard shots that he's not putting on goal. If you put him on goal, you can at least get a deflection, a spill, and create an opportunity. He's just not putting them on goal. Speaking of polarizing figures, if you looked at Atlanta United's bench tonight, they didn't have a full complement of seven players. Uh, They only had six, and the reason was Andrew Carlton showed up to leave with the team on Tuesday and did not have his passport. Um, The players were told on Monday to bring passports. They were reminded... He did not have his. It's yet another odd chapter in what has been, I think it's fair to say, a disappointing history with Atlanta United. Um, He was the team's first homegrown signing out of Powder Springs. He has made just two starts in Major League Soccer now in two-plus seasons. He only has one assist with Atlanta United 2 this season. He, of course, was not available for selection for the MLS Cup because he had been suspended by the team wasn't at the team parade another result of that suspension he's a guy who seems to be wasting his potential and wasting his talent and it's kind of sad to see Um, I don't know what's going on in his head I don't know what advice he's receiving I do know that the team is trying everything it can to help him become the professional they believe that he can be but the instruction simply isn't taking I don't know what the team is going to do with him we're not we don't know contract situations if I had to guess the team probably has an option on his contract for next season I'm going to be curious I would think they'll probably pick it up if I were them and this is not based upon any information from any source this is just me talking based upon what I would do I would loan him somewhere, probably not in the United States. I would try to get him as far away from Atlanta as possible, let him focus on soccer, let him grow up a little bit, learn how to be a mature person, a mature soccer player, a professional soccer player, and go from there. The few times that I've spoken with Andrew over the previous couple of years, I've always enjoyed talking to him. He likes soccer, but I don't think he quite yet understands what it means to be a professional soccer player. It's not just the the societal stuff, the fun stuff. And that's a lesson that I think he's still learning, and I hope he learns it before it's too late. 
Um, so anyway, that's going to be it from this one. Atlanta United loses to Toronto 3-2 on a made penalty and a missed penalty. Uh, the contributing factors in the final seconds. Uh, Mike, what do you have upcoming? And how can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, at MikeConti929. Thanks, Doug. Uh, keeping you up to date on Atlanta sports when it happens when we get back on Friday, I guess. And then a big match on Saturday, 5.30 on 92.9, the game, 6 o'clock kickoff. And Montreal somehow finding ways. Uh, you know, Lovett's playing for the men's national team tonight. Piatti out. And they beat Portland. Yeah. Uh, hot Portland. Second in the East right now, and no one is really paying attention to them. Uh, and we have seen Remy Gard come into Mercedes-Benz Stadium with a philosophy to bunker, and it almost worked last year. This is going to be tricky for Atlanta United, and that's why you really hate dropping all three points here tonight because I'm looking ahead at Saturday feeling more and more uncomfortable about that match. And D.C. United also won tonight, and Philadelphia earned a draw at New England. So the teams Atlanta United is chasing all got positive results tonight. Yeah. Yeah, it's frustrating to, to drop the point that I felt like this was a 2-2 game. I felt like you know it was neither team dominated. You look at expected goals, and Atlanta actually had a pretty big advantage there. Run of play felt fairly even. Felt like a draw, and you come out of here with nothing. Now you have to go make that up over a busy next month. It's going to be difficult. Montreal, I think, will come in and sit back and defend. They've been a pretty defensive team all season. They've given up a lot of goals for being a defensive team. When they start conceding, it falls apart at times for them. They've had some shocking score lines. Hopefully, you get something like that. But Montreal is going to make life difficult for you at the Benz on Saturday because they're going to put numbers behind the ball. Happy. Can people find you, Jason? Long shoe on Twitter, soccer down here on Twitter, and overreaction Thursday should be a doozy tomorrow night. We'll be live at 6 o'clock on the Soccer Down Here app and Spreaker and SoccerDownHere.net. And you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And there's been, uh, I just wanted to say this also, there's been a little venom on Twitter this week about who covers Atlanta United and who to follow on Twitter. and It's just been a little perplexing to me. There have been criticisms of me, which is fine. There have been criticisms of the guys at um, for the SB Nation blog, um, which I don't really appreciate very much because those guys, don't. I don't think they get paid. They do it because they love soccer. They do it because they want to cover the team. And People should appreciate that instead of being critical of them. Um, So anyway, that's my take on that. Y'all have a good night. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.